Hey everyone. Welcome to Multiple Calls Episode 3. I'm Scott Hewlett. Coming up is my conversation with Jeff Clayton. So Jeff grew up in rural Nova Scotia, and he's a third-generation fire service member. And we start off by talking about how being around the fire service since he was a child and having family members involved imprinted on him. When he first started attending calls 24 years ago, times were different. We touch on how it was for him attending calls as a teenager, how it was to literally ride the back step, the differences in PPE, and also his work as an EMT out of a funeral home. We cover his early mentors, his first visit a house fire, his first fire with victims, and his first experience with a positive pressure fan. As much as he loved and valued volunteering, he wanted to do this work full-time and transition to a larger urban department. He found a passion for instructing and eventually promoted to captain out of a tech rescue station that runs approximately 3,000 calls annually. He eventually found a way to return to his roots of volunteering, and he continues to take courses and try to improve. I really enjoyed getting to know him better, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to Jeff Clayton. Jeff. Yes, sir. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. All right. I'm glad to have you up. You had a, a beautiful sunny drive. Yeah, it's an absolutely large day out there. Uh, better than the last two, I understand. Yeah. Zeus and Jordan had a drive up that was trying, to say the least. Yeah. No, beautiful sunny weather. Springs around the corner. <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting uh, talking to even Zeus and me knowing, me knowing him, you know, more closely for all these years. Uh, you learn so much more about people when you, when you give them the mic and you sit and listen a lot more than you talk. So, uh, you know, you and I, we've known of each other and known each other, maybe worked together a bunch of times, but we've never had really an opportunity to sit down and like have a beer and, you know, really get to know each other. Yeah. So when you sent me, you know, your sort of your story, I was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is amazing. So it's, it's quickly becoming like a real privilege for me to, to get to know all, you know, all of you guys and I'm going to have on guys and girls like so much better. So I'm just like, so super excited about it. Well, you know what? It's a, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Like you say, we are learning so much more about the brothers that, that come before us and yeah. and who we have on, on the department and, and what makes us what we are. Yeah. So uh, like what little uh, I did know about you is that you grew up a down Easter and you uh, you wear it proudly, which you should. Yeah. Um, so why don't you start there, like uh, how you came up and, and what your uh, your introduction to fire service was probably earlier than, than most. Yeah, we could say that uh, earlier than most. I grew up a, a tailboard brat. Uh, in small town Nova Scotia, running around a volunteer firehouse, uh, third generation. Had a grandfather who was a volunteer, uh, three uncles, father, stepfather. And uh, yeah, they all gave a lot, gave a lot to the community, a lot of hours. Right. And it opened up doors for me and it really allowed me to, to see what, you know, community service is all about right. uh, out there. They're not paid on call. It's still a volunteer job. You still... You know, you make a small honorarium at the end of the year, wow, but okay. training nights are free. Your calls are free. When when they say volunteer, they they mean volunteer. So right. the guys are in it for the community. Um, so you know, I grew up in that atmosphere, and in a small town of twelve hundred people, there's not really a lot of exciting, action-packed events that go on. But uh, but when the pagers activate and the fire horn blows, you know, the the town comes to life. And, sure. uh, and to be at a family gathering and see uncles reaching for shoes and fighting to get out the door and so forth uh growing up i wanted to be a part of that excitement so yeah the volunteer experience is so unique right for those that have had the luck to to take part in it i i didn't i didn't i just came in career right so you know i sort of missed out on that yeah it's a it's a different camaraderie i'm not going to say it's any better yeah. um, but it's definitely a, a different camaraderie right um 
a lot of social events happen and and so mm -hmm. forth where that are kind of geared around that that part of the community um so yeah it was it was great that's growing up that's all i wanted to do was was to be a part of that organization and be a part of that excitement and so forth yeah it was a very positive experience yeah coming about it Kept me out of trouble. Right. <laughs> yeah. And got you into some other. Yeah. 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 Got me into so, some other troubles. But, so yeah. you started early, uh, like way early. Way, I, way early. <laughs> like um, earlier than would happen now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Anywhere, right? Keep in mind that was the early, early to mid nineties. Yeah. Um, in small town, Nova Scotia. And what happened was because we grew up in that firehouse around that fire chief and so forth, uh, they wanted to start up a cadet program. So the cadet program started when you were 16 years old. You could come out, you could train on training nights. Uh, you could go to certain emergencies uh, as long as it was before 10 p.m. on a school night. Eh? They, <laughs> they had rules on a school night. You, they didn't want you. They didn't want you out late. So I love it. Um, but uh, at the time, that chief he he thought I was 16 years old, oh. and I was 14 years old. So basically, it, when it became known that I was only 14, uh, I had to wait on running the calls and, and so forth. But he, he didn't pull the rug out from underneath me. Did you just sneak a few in before the... Uh, you know what? I might have snuck one or two in. <laughs> um, but uh, I can tell you, as soon as I turned 16, I was uh, I was on every every run I could get on. So. Nice. nice. Um, but even on those runs, there was nothing uh, where we were put in a situation that, you know, could have been detrimental to us, whether it be physically or mentally, if, right. if it was a car accident, you just weren't going. Oh, okay. They, they didn't want 16, 17 year Okay, so they were still aware of that at that time? That. Yeah. Not like get in there and you'll learn and... No. no okay. Uh, not at all. Um, you know, when, once you get older, then yeah, you're, you're going to approach that subject and hopefully have the maturity to deal with it. But at 16 and 17, I guess they realized that although I thought I was ready... Yeah, we all and, think we're ready to do everything at and 16. And wanted to yeah. go, yeah. Um, <laughs> So Zeus talked about, because um, he was born, raised, still lives in and works in the city, right? Yeah. Um, uh, so, and he talked about uh, how it was unique to uh, respond to calls in the city you know, that you know, and you know everybody, you know, your circle is in that city as well, yeah. right? So did you have that worry? Was that a concern? No. No. Not okay. a concern. Not when you're that. You know, when you're that age, you just want out there sure. and, and to do every. And yeah, sure, I did cross paths with people uh, that we we knew, and it's just small town living. Uh, yeah, you're gonna see people at their worst, and yeah, and it's gonna be friends, and it's gonna be people that you know. Right. Any any friends like as a teenager that you knew from school, and then all of a sudden you're running, you're responding in a, to a call that involves them, like. Um, not that I recall. It's digging pretty far back. Yeah. 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 Not that I can recall. So. Hmm. So how, like, times were different, you mentioned that, right? So, like, how was, like, PPE, like, how how did that all work? <laughs> the PPE was definitely different. Uh, that was, like I say, when I started in early to mid-90s, um, I was issued a, the patch coat and the high boots, and, of course, being a young teen, the boots are three sizes too big, and, and uh, the coat's a little bit too big and so forth, but uh, you're just happy to have it. Right. Um, you know, the the apparatus operators would run in and, They'd never bother to grab their their bunker gear or their helmet or anything. It was just get in the truck, fire it up, and shorts and a t-shirt in the summertime. Yeah, like as long as you weren't in flip flops, you're good to go. Right. <laughs> and uh, but it was it was totally different in the response as well. Um, guys would run, like run to their gear rack, get their right. gear on. So why the scramble? Nobody, I mean, not only just to respond quickly, but you were mentioning that there was only so many spots. 
Yeah, the tailboard's only so big, right? right? Yeah. So like, you can only fit so many guys on it, and no one wanted to miss the truck. There's right? this passion to make the call, of course. And when you're only making, you know, fifty to seventy runs a year, right? You want to get on as many as you can, and it didn't matter, guys that were on ten years, twenty years, that that competitiveness, that drive, it was the same. Mm. Um, so, you know, first truck held five with seat belts and so forth, but the second own apparatus had a tailboard. Right. And there'd be six guys on it, and quite often the fire chief himself would be back there. Wow, with the guys and wow, directing operations from the tailboard. So amazing! You already have in the chat, yeah, about what what's going to come up. Yeah, exactly. Right. And tell he, me, tell me a bit more about the chief because you said he was he was pretty instrumental. Yeah, that fire chief. Well, every time I see him now, which isn't very often, but I still shake his hand and tell him thank you. You know, for that opportunity right. and, and to allow me into that organization and and to give me that start that I needed. Um, he was an old school fire chief. He, his helmet was the typical plastic 1960s first generation plastic helmet. Glorified hard hat. He wore that thing right until the day he retired. Wow. Um, his ability to, to lead through his actions, um, and, and who he was as a person was, was huge. Mm. Uh, like I recall an incident, we ended up, we ended up, uh, in a chicken barn full of smoke, no obvious fire. Right. And we went in one end with a hand line and he come in coughing and hacking beside us. And of course we're all in SCBA and PPE and everything else. Yeah. And he tapped me on the shoulder. It's not down this end. He says, we go to the other end. And I'm thinking, how did he know that? Right. How did he figure that out? But of course doing the job as long as he had. And you know, that, that's the type of chief he was. He wasn't going to set up a sector and everything else and this big command structure because it wasn't popular then either right, okay. uh, on the east coast and right. he was a direct from as close to the fires he could get type of chief and mm. and he was instrumental in in helping the guys extinguish a lot of fires just based on his experience and the fact that he was right beside them amazing um so that, that's the way he liked to operate and he didn't lead us astray uh, his knowledge base and his ability to to direct operations you know it kept the guys safe as well you know it wasn't yeah. Cowboyish, there was sure. nothing, no chances taken that someone was going to get hurt. It was just solid leadership, one hundred percent. So, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, he was a he was a very large man. And I was a very small. <laughs> so he teenager. had a physical presence as well. Yeah, yeah, and I was a very small teenager. Right. So, <laughs> nice. So, uh, I listened when he said something. I listened. Nice. Were your responsibilities limited as a cadet? Like how? You mean you mentioned at fourteen, right? That you that you had were limited on certain calls, but there were other limitations put on you. Yeah, even between you know sixteen and and nineteen. And keep in mind, one of the major fundraisers in that firehouse was the bar and social functions. So to be a full member of that fire department, you had to be nineteen years old because you had to staff the bar, which was a big <laughs> fundraiser, right? It was a rookie job. Yeah. So, um, but between the ages of sixteen and nineteen, of course, any of the training. Uh, you're out there, you're doing it with the guys. Fire scenes is a bit different. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not going in on that first line, you know, after, after you're proving yourself and so forth. Yeah. You might get in to do some overhaul right. if the officers kind of have a little conference and say, yeah, it's pretty safe. Let's let them in and get some experience. And, Were you up on the pump step or? Uh, no, there was no, no pumping, anything like that. You'd be changing out cylinders. Mm. Um, I did a lot of directing traffic, but, uh, grass fires is different. You're getting a broom and get out there and and, and work with everybody else. And grass fire season was always my favorite. It, it really helped you prove to the guys that, you know what? Yeah, I, I want to be here. I want to work. I want to do this. Right. Um, and it was something where you could work right alongside the regular guys, which when you're 16, 17 years old, 
that's what you want. Yeah. You know, you want those two years to fly by so you can sure. you can be nineteen and and be a part of that group. Right. And but what a time to uh, to take everything in. I mean, if you're directing traffic, if you're changing bottles, you, you don't have a heap of stuff on your mind. No. So and, you can watch really take in how how it works. Yeah. Watching and listening. And yeah, it's still, it's still a good thing to do. It, yeah. And it's still <laughs> exactly whether, you know, whether it's on a writ team or whether you're waiting for an assignment on a front line, mm. uh, currently it's watching and listening is still huge. So right. yeah, I learned a lot just being on scene in those operations and, and getting to be a part of it. So you hit 19. Yeah. Hit 19 and, uh, got lucky cause you have to be voted in, eh? Like into this interesting society. Yeah, wow. you don't get hired or anything else. Uh, well, I don't know how it works now, so I can't. Should we bring that back? That that what... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it might not hurt. Uh, <laughs> we try that at my firehouse now. Um, but yeah, back uh, back then you had to be voted in. So I got lucky in the fact that my 19th birthday was on meeting night, so I didn't have to go that you know three weeks of waiting. I, right. you know, I wanted that pager on my hip and, and to be a part of that group. And did you just, bring the cake and ice cream? You know what? There's none of that. Um, <laughs> like I say, we had a bar in the firehouse, so right. yeah. you just bring money and, and uh, you turned 19. Yeah. So it was perfect. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, th- back then there was still a social beer after training. Right. Um, but, uh, of course a lot of those times have gone by the wayside and sometimes for good reason. Sure. Sure. So, Absolutely. But, but, uh, yeah, it was an exciting time. Uh, those those early years living in that small town and, and yeah. wanting to be a part of that group and then getting to be a part of that group for a few years. So, yeah, you're cherishing it. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And and trying to soak up as much as I could. And I got lucky. I had some great mentors and probably the biggest influence on my career and on my progression through the fire service was was one of my uncles. Um he was that that go to guy in that small fire department. Uh he came up through the ranks kind of when I was as a cadet and so forth and rose up to the rank of deputy fire chief and uh, very into the job, very passionate about it, gave a lot of his time to that organization and to that community and uh, was always talking about the job. So small town, small community, tight-knit family. I had the opportunity to uh, to spend a lot of time with him and, and to pull a lot of his knowledge out. And I think that's where some of my passion comes from is, is he... He demonstrated what it was like to be passionate in the fire service mm-hmm. when it wasn't cool. You know, it, right. there are a lot of, of very laid back attitudes and we're just a volunteer fire department. We don't need to be doing any of this stuff. Right. But, and it's still there today, whether it's the volunteer service or whether it's the career service. And yeah. I'm pretty sure you and I both know the attitude. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's not the, that the passion became cool. It's that being cool became cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> right. and it's it's podcasts like this and, and so forth that are bringing passion to the forefront again and, and making the passion for the job cool. Right, right. So, uh, but yeah, he, he had that and he kind of instilled that in me. That, that's where I picked it up from. So. Nice. What your first few calls? Actually running calls, how are they? Um, pretty exciting. Uh, I can sit here today. Yeah, I got to ride on the tailboard. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'll take that one with me for the rest of my rest yeah. of my days. Uh, I got to ride on a tailboard, but uh, yeah, we uh, we were an aggressive fire department. We were small, but because of that fire chief uh, that I mentioned uh, and and his his values and his leadership, we were an aggressive fire department. Mm-hmm. Um, I did VES probably a year into 
into my my tenure there. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I didn't even know I was doing BES. He just boosted me up into a bedroom window right. where there was a high likelihood of finding a lady who was unaccounted for. Right. Told me to search this bedroom. Don't leave it. Just search it. And he stayed at the window. Right. I could hear him cough and I could hear him talking to me. I could hear him giving me direction. Sure. And I'm in there crawling around frantically looking for this lady. Um, of course, it turned out, luckily, she, she wasn't in that room, but I come back to the window. He helped me out, pat on the back, good job, and, you know, we continued on with the fire. But right. looking back, when I first started learning about VES and, and what it was and so forth, I was like, wait a minute, I did that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know I did that, right. but I did that. And this is the, you know, it's it's brought up, and rightly so, right, that not everything new is new. And, and, and we should name things if we can and, and at least pass that on as, a, you know, and structure it and train on it. Like this, this doesn't sound like it was an officially trained tactic at that point. It, it was just common sense. This is just what you did. This was just firefighting. Exactly. At the time, that was the quickest way to the bedroom. Sure. That's probably where she's going to be. And that's the way we're going to go. Right. Um, yeah. Nothing crazy. We didn't have to spend hours training on it or anything else. It was yeah. just, this is what we're going to do. This is what I want you to do. Go right. do it. Right. So, hmm. And then, uh, so while you were uh, down east still, you also did some work as, as an EMT and a medic, right? So that's one thing we share in common. I've spent a little time doing that too. So how did that come to be? So you, you're 19, you start running fires, and then I want more? Is that how that happened? Um, yeah. There was really, there's no full-time fire departments in the area. I was too small to be a police officer, and I knew I wanted to do something in emergency services. Right. So as part of my... <laughs> Part of my grade 11 economics class, we take a tour to the funeral home. And back then in Nova Scotia, ambulances were based out of the funeral home. Well, I really wasn't interested in the cost of dying. That wasn't on my scope at all. Sure. I had no interest in the funeral home. But part of that tour, we walked through the ambulance bay. And you thought, what is this? And I thought, wow. <laughs> yeah, this looks interesting. This is exciting. This is, you know. It's got a, it's got a light on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's got a siren on it. So, uh, yeah, we did the tour through the through the ambulance bay. And uh, I got a hold of my economics teacher afterwards and said, you know, I'd, I'd like to do a co-op here. Right. Got a hold of the funeral homeowner. Um, my dad knew a few of the guys that worked there. As uh, back then, they were called emergency medical attendants. So I just started doing ride time as part of a co-op program. Again, kept me out of trouble. Just get exposure. Yeah, and uh, and I enjoyed it. And I thought, you know what, this is this may be a career for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so my co-op placement was done and the supervising paramedic said, you know what, you're welcome back. If you want to do some ride time and keep coming out, you're welcome back. And that's exactly what I did. Right. I just kept going back and I wasn't on the payroll. Right. I went from hanging around firehouses at 14 to right. now I'm hanging around an ambulance station at 18. With no expectation other than just taking things in and. Yeah. Just want to be there. Just want to Being a nice learn. person to be around. Yeah. I want to pull as much as I can out of these guys and, right. and, and learn from what, what they have to offer and, and right. get experience. And uh, then I come up that you know what, we're, we're looking at some part-timers. We're going to send you away if you want to take this course and you can work for us part-time. Of course, why wouldn't I? Right. 18, 19, 18 years old, actually. Mm. I go away and I take back then a two-week course. Combine that with 500 ride hours and you're off to the races, right? It's, <laughs> you know, we're cannonball run and away we go. Interesting. Uh, and this is actually something you have in common with Jordan because Jordan works around the funeral home and in the cemetery yeah. Um, uh, as before he came into the fire service, so you actually share that, and he talked quite a bit about that experience, and and even like the soft skills that came from it, and the comfort around that 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 space. Uh, did you like what soft skills did you carry anything from that? I think you bring, you learn the the ability 
to talk to people in their time of greatest sorrow, you learn how to be compassionate and how to communicate with an individual. Um, it's something that we do bring to our job today, especially in my role as captain. I often talk to a spouse who has just lost a loved one. Right. Um, and I carry that skill that I learned at 18, 19, you know, 20 years old to present day at, at 40 years old. Um, and it's, it's a skill that I see. I often see it in, and not to, you know, speak poorly about our, our paramedic brother and, and sisters, but, uh, I see that lack of that ability and that skill set is just not present. Right. Um, and I see it in the fire service as well. Sometimes we don't know how to talk to those people. Can we teach it? I don't know if you can teach it. Mm -hmm. It's it's something that has to be learned through experience, through exposure, and and through need. Um, but uh, it, it was an absolute game changer mm -hmm. to be put in that situation the first few times. Like I had no idea at, at eighteen, nineteen years old how to talk to somebody who's who's grieving like that. Right. Um, but you learn, and it's just due to exposure. Yeah. So I, I think it's also. Uh... You know that's when that's when it's true hum humanity, right? Oh, sure. How how you realize that your own mortality, and you've been through some some tragedies, and you're just two people. A lot of people have a fear of oh, I don't want to say anything wrong, right? And and then sometimes sometimes you don't need to say much at all, but it, just your demeanor and your your in their space and just showing that you care. Yeah, you, you show some respect, you show some compassion, and it can yeah. go a long way. Uh, we can very often get asked, um, you know, what's the worst call you've ever seen, right? And, and sometimes it's people not in the service and, and they're just looking to make connections with you and um, and have some some conversation. They think it'll be exciting. They think you want to talk about it, but it's, it's not always something you want to talk about, right? And um, and I've come to realize that maybe I have like a bit of a library of certain calls that I'll pull from when they want to hear that as opposed to the ones that, you know, they might want to hear, but I don't really want to tell. But, uh, you know, you offered up a few uh, to talk about, a few memorable ones, right? Um, which, you know, I think that puts it on the table to talk about. So uh, you had your first fire with victims? Yeah, my, uh, my first fire with victims, I believe they pulled three children out of uh, it was a backsplit um, residential dwelling. We come in as a mutual aid company, and uh, we had a very experienced crew. And, of course, being probably 22, 23 years old at the time, and uh, with all the training and so forth and the time I'd had in, I thought I had a really good grasp on this job and, and was going to be able to handle everything in a cool, calm demeanor and my experience as a paramedic and so forth and all the chaos that that job, as you know, can bring. I, uh, I thought I'd be, uh, be really very cool and uh, composed when it came to this, this fire that I knew was going to come sooner or later. And I remember walking down the driveway and it was that, that tactical speed. It's not a run. It's not a saunter. It's that purpose. Ta tactical focus. We're moving with purpose. Right. I remember coming up the driveway with two or three other guys, and, and we had hand tools and flashlights and extra flashlights, and we knew what we were going to. We could hear the radio transmission on the fire ground before we got there. We had a, like a 12-minute response to this, um, and you could hear the guys inside. Yeah, we found one. We're coming out the rear. We're doing this. We're doing that. Yeah, this is, okay, this is it. This is the one. And you can't get there fast enough. Yeah, and, you know, we can't get off the truck fast enough, and right. the truck's not close enough, right. and so forth. And But when we got off, uh, walking up the driveway, the, the then chief came around, of course, in his civilian clothes. He went straight from his place of employment, I would imagine. Um, but he had an unconscious, probably eight-year-old child. 
mm-hmm. in his arms, soot covered, trying to get the child out to the paramedics as, as quickly as he could. And he was in a light jog, and I remember him coming by us and telling us, get in that rear door. Okay. So we go around to the rear, and there's a hand line there. It's already laid out for us. And uh, we tried we tried getting up the stairs that had burned through the floor and in front of the front door. And that turns out that was the last child to be brought out of that house. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone survived, uh, to the best of my understanding. To the best of my recollection, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that was memorable, and then uh, that was really my first encounter with a uh, positive pressure fan being placed and uh, being detrimental to the crews on the inside. And right. it was simply, were you on the inside when it happened? We were on the inside. I was uh, making my way down to the basement with uh, deputy chief, very experienced firefighter. Um, we were down in the basement. And we get down there, and we could hear a motor running, and we had come in the rear and this thing was put in the side. So essentially our entrance was going to be the exit for the flow path. Right. Of course, before flow path was a popular term, right? Before they named it. Yeah. Before they <laughs> named it. And what I learned was it's very hot and you don't want to be in it. Right. <laughs> um, but we were at the bottom of the stairs and we just, just had fallen off a landing, small landing, fallen onto the concrete floor. And okay. And he said, something's not right. And the heat was banking down. We could hear it. Yeah, he said, something's not right. we got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. So up the stairs we go, and he's pushing me up the stairs, and we kind of tumbled out onto the rear deck, and then, the, of course, the flow path lights up and comes out behind us. And I'm like, wow. And, you know, at that stage in my career and being so focused on, are there still kids? Are the kids in this basement? And after doing what we had, you know, just seen and so forth, I was concentrating on the search. And I, if it wasn't for him kind of bringing that, environmental change situational uh, awareness yeah he had it and he heard it, yeah yes. and that's the experience right and uh, i didn't i i was focused on that right. search and what was going on around me and back then it was a it was a crawl on your hands and knees right it wasn't the, the duck walk kind of sure. that we use today to search yeah. and but uh yeah he no we're going back out we got to get out up the stairs we went and sure enough he was right and you and i have talked um before about um positioning of a, of a crew on a line mm-hmm. and um and you know, i think we're in full agreement right to uh you should have your senior firefighter um you know and and you know aaron and his crew push this as well right your senior firefighter should be your backup and and you keep your newest firefighter with you hmm. I, I i'll be honest i didn't know that was something that the nozzle forward guys pushed but yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm in agreement with that 100 uh, percent. that senior guy those eyes those ears and that experience it's going to help you huge if it's behind you, if it's, you know, if it's at the bottom of the stairs after you just knocked down a kitchen fire and you're heading above the fire, mm-hmm. you know, you want that experience there and, and they're going to operate 20 or 30 feet behind you. Right. And I just, I can't imagine putting a, a new member who's six, eight months on the job and has only been in a couple of fires back there to do that. I, I think if we want to strengthen the team and, and to me, that's what it's all about is having that strong team. It's, right. it's not Timbits hockey. We're putting our best players in the best position to achieve success on the fire ground. Right. Um, and yeah, that rookie, that newer member should be on that nozzle. They're yeah. going to get that nozzle experience and they're going to be there under, for what it's worth, they're going to be there under my guidance. Um, but that senior firefighter, I need someone I can trust behind us right. to watch how we progress and watch what's happening. And maybe there. from your, your personal experience, you realize that that new person is focused on Maybe one, maybe two things. Yeah, that was me, 100%. And, and uh, so they're missing things. So you want them with you. Yeah. So you've got experience with them and experience back where you need it. For sure. And and the days of 
entering into a house, like as some of the manuals state and hanging onto boots and so forth and crawling around, they're done. Fires are moving so fast, burning so hot. Like I say, we got to get our right, the people in the right spots to achieve success and to yeah. achieve it quickly. Um, so having that person in somewhat by themselves back there, like I say, you don't want that new person there. You, you want yeah. that, that seasoned veteran back there and who's going to call you on the radio and say, hey, listen, Cap, that kitchen's lighting up again or yeah. there's been a change here. I'm, it's banking down or right. whatever the case may be. They can go back around the corner and come back to you and that you know. For sure. Yeah. And I'm I'm comfortable with that because I know they're going to be okay back there. Right. And I know if there is an issue, they're going to let myself know or they're going to let somebody else know. Mm-hmm. So, And you had a... Uh... I guess a, a typical, I guess we would call it typical, a stereotypical volunteer experience, barn fire. And you, uh, you had an interesting barn fire. Yeah, I, I, uh, I ended up learning that sometimes the manual, following it to the T might not be beneficial for your career and your own safety. Um, we had a, a chicken barn, so picture, you know, 200 feet by 80 feet. And uh, I was up a ladder playing a line and through the... Uh, the hay door essentially is the one that they put the conveyor up to to offload the hay into the attic of these barns or straw I guess it would be but uh so I'm up there and it's it's absolutely beautiful it's it's nature at its finest the fire's got a slow roll it's coming across the ceiling and I'm I'm not really doing anything with this inch and a half hand line like the GPM are not doing anything for the BTU that this thing's producing right but uh, I'm laying water into it and I hear a crack and as I hear the crack, I realize the tip of my ladder just moved and it just dropped. And what's happening is the far end of that barn is now collapsing. And as it's collapsing, it's creating pressure in my end. And then the smoke and the gas just kind of come out of that doorway. And that's when I knew like it was, and it all happened so fast that I just knew I had to get off this ladder. And right. luckily I did not have a leg lock on. Right. So I bailed out and jumped down from, from the fr- tip from the ladder yeah right so two stories not not a large jump but jumped and tucked and rolled and nice. you know yeah. did that 10 point landing <laughs> your first parkour yeah where it's elbows yeah. and assholes and then you finally right. come to a stop right, right so right. but uh yeah i learned two things that night uh one that you know following that that manual to a t might not be the safest option you need to have that situational aware- awareness yeah. and and be able to to change and adapt to exactly what you're doing um, when they pulled that ladder the next day, the tip was bent, the tip was burnt, there was a roof on it. That that would have been me underneath of all that weight, all that fire and so forth. And, you know, as you know, when a steel building collapses, all the heat's retained in it, and you normally end up putting that fire out with an excavator. Um, so, yeah, I, I learned that night that, you know what, maybe this IFSTA book, maybe this textbook isn't the best thing to follow to a T. And up to that point in my career, that was kind of the text that everybody followed. Um, and another thing that night, as I really, I always knew that, yeah, the fire service is a close, close-knit unit. But I'd come to that fire with, with one of my best friends at the time. And uh, we gotten off the rig. He went to staff one line. I went to staff another. We just had a collapse. So when I stopped, I knew I was okay. I was unhurt. But because of the the dramatics of the fire coming out the window and me jumping off a ladder, I garnered a lot of attention mm. on in that middle of that field that night. Right. Um, but my concern was for Jimmy. Mm. Where's Jim? Mm-hmm. And that, that was my question. Like, where is he at? He was with me. And now that guy, the brother beside me that I come over here with, yes. he's not there anymore. Yeah. Like it's we, instant accountability. Where is everybody? Sure. Yeah. Um, 
and you know there was only a few lines in operation at that point as i recall but uh i soon found out that you know what yeah those guys are fine they were they were laying in through a ground floor doorway and it collapsed away from them okay perfect like we're good right so and you learn to uh trust your instincts in your gut oh for sure and just react yeah and i knew something was wrong i didn't know what was going on with that building but something was wrong right and you've never been trailed sorry you've never been trained to jump off a ladder and tuck no, and roll no you no, never drilled that it. skill yeah i don't i don't think we could do it now um, we could no. try to put on a course but uh, i don't think we're going to be allowed no no so uh what made you uh transition from the east coast to the golden horseshoe the job 100 percent the job um the east coast has a few paid fire services um i didn't want to wait guys waiting eight ten years to get hired I didn't want to wait. I get into fire college, uh, went to Durham in 2000 in Oshawa, Ontario. And uh, I was actually in the process of, of looking for apartments and, and moving back home because there wasn't anything here. And that's when, you know, the city I work for now, that's when they gave me, gave me a phone call. But, right. uh, it was the job that brought me here. Um, and I realized once I answered that phone call and accepted that job, yeah, okay. We're here. I'm here for 30 years. Right. So. Do you think you could go back after you retire? Oh yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah, for sure, one hundred percent. Nothing, nothing against the uh, the province of Ontario, no, but, no. Uh, but it's your home, right? That's yeah. That's and, where your heart is in the East Coast, like, and yeah. so many friends that I have today, and of course, all from the fire service. Right. Right. Like, sure, you you have your high school buddies, but for the most part, most of the people that I stay in touch with are those guys that I served with as a volunteer, um, or guys that I've met along the way through friends of friends and so forth. So. Right. So so you you come into uh, I guess a quote unquote, I guess comparably, right? It was still a small department. Our department was still pretty small compared to now mm-hmm. at that time, but bigger probably than the one you would just come from. Um, so how was, how was the environment in your experience initially different from the East Coast days? And, and, and you also bring in, you've done VES a number of times. You've, you've been to fires of victims. You've bailed off a ladder at a fire. You, you bring all this experience with you and now you're a, a recruit and a rookie. And very happy to be so. Sure. Um, sure. The crew that I started with, uh, that I was the first first assigned with, uh, to, when I was in recruit class, a couple different guys come up to me, and of course, when guys tell you something, you believe them, right? When when you're in recruit class, it doesn't matter if that guy's got a uniform and it's the same as yours, you believe that that individual. And I had a couple guys come up to me and say, "You get the best crew in the city. You're being assigned to the best crew in the city." Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Great. So I showed up, and uh, it was no lie. It was no stretch. Uh, in my opinion, that was the best crew I could have been with. I was very humbled. Um, kind of like that, uh, like that minor league baseball player that walks into the into the clubhouse for the first time. Yeah, and is just in awe of the the pros. It was yeah. truly idyllic. You in personalities and in experience. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I always admired that crew. Yeah, it was just a phenomenal bunch of guys, right. and uh, they gave me credit for for my experience. Um, and on the other hand, I was told the first night on the job, you've got two ears, one mouth. You listen twice as much as you speak. Right. Got it. Understood. Um, and we all know the captain that I work for, a decorated firefighter. Um, had a lot of respect for him and still carry a lot of it uh, today. Um, but uh, that crew was so sharp and so on the ball that regardless of my experience in the past, it all gets set aside because now I'm learning from from top shelf individuals, sure, um, passionate individuals, and, and a crew that I could really blend, blend, and and they made me feel very very comfortable. Mm-hmm. 
But even with that, um, was there any moments where you felt held back and limited, like you wanted to say something, but because of your position, you didn't? Because I think just generally in the fire service, I mean, you had, you had a very unique crew, but I think generally, like, do we do a disservice to, to our new people and, and not draw on them or allow them to have the, the, the voice that maybe they, it's a balance, right? But they, I mean, they can bring a voice at times and bring what they've, because they're not, they're not just showing up with as a blank slate. Oh, sure. Of course. Uh, and that goes with anything. If, if I'm standing on a forcible entry course and I'm teaching six students at my station, there's seven students right there because I'm learning from them. Sure. I think a lot of it is the approach that we sometimes see and it kind of, it takes that, the senior members and just kind of rubs them the wrong way a bit. Um, you know, they may have a lot of skills to offer, but if they don't approach it properly, it's not going to be taken into context and it's just going to be brushed aside and that new recruit is now going to be a know-it-all. Mm-hmm. And, and what they did have to offer has absolutely zero credibility. It's simply based on the approach that they took and delivering it to the rest of the crew. Right, so it's all tact. Tact, timing, you know, and, and having that, that humble attitude. Right, right. So do you, uh, do you offer your new firefighters now, like as a captain, do you offer them more encouragement? Do you, do you treat them in a specific way to allow them to, you know, earlier maybe become a, uh, a, the, the most efficient and effective part of the team that they can be? Well, I guess that's my goal as a captain, besides keeping that whole crew safe, is to make it as efficient and as effective as, as it can be. And again, if they approach it properly and at the right time, and they say, hey, listen, we could have done this, or have we ever thought of that, as opposed to we should have, you know, give it that soft sell. If you're a new recruit in the fire service and you've got something to offer, give it that soft sell. Sure. Um, you know, you're not pushing cars on people here. Like, <laughs> like you got to approach it properly and... Right. Have have that that skill set where you know you can communicate effectively and and know that role because um, they do have a lot to offer. We're bringing great people in right. into the fire service and and you know to to quote one of the greats, uh, Ray McCormick, when Ray delivered his keynote speech at FDIC uh-huh. here a few years ago, you know he basically stated that it's our job to in, instill the the trade of firefighter in these people and and to teach them how to be firefighters. Right. You know. Uh, they might have a university degree in this, that, or the other thing, but now it's our job mm-hmm. to instill in them what we do and what we are. And really with the, uh, the amount that we have to know and cover and retain, given the volume of the breadth of the calls, yes, um, it's, I think it's fair to say it's impossible, right? And once you've learned something or learned, you're learning a couple of things, you, you got to go on to the next and then start over again because it's been a long time since you've touch the first thing of course so you know a really a real, a real true team right if if we have someone on on the crew that knows sprinkler systems inside and out right we should all try and learn from them to bring ourselves up to speed but if they're the expert and they're on that call it's like you you should be turning to them and saying this is yours right yeah exactly and I, i've often said that sometimes the best crew you could ever ask for is that that senior firefighter who knows the area and has worked there for 20 years and has been a pump operator for you know 16 of those 20 years you want him driving you want a good season captain because of today's fire service a paramedic in the back someone who's got that passion for the medical component of it whether you're a paramedic or just a medical first responder sure with with a passion to learn and to do it and then a small engine mechanic 
throw a small engine mechanic on the back which is never a bad thing yeah and ever. you know and they've got that skill set where they can just see something and go oh yeah this is how that works and this is how you fix it right and if you can put those four different skill sets in, into that rig you can achieve great things and you know we all come with different passions some it's engine work some it's truck work some it's the medical component some of it is the tech rescue component right. and if you can balance those passions out and put a little bit sprinkle it around a little bit on each rig you're going to do great things. Right. It's just natural. And you've uh, and you spent the bulk of your career at the TR Hall. Yeah, um, I've done. I did ten years in that hall as well. So I think you know, we share that in common, and I sort of understand the the world you're living in. And yeah, I spent. The, I guess the bulk of it really was uh, the bulk of it was more on a squad. Okay, I did nine of twelve years on a squad before I got promoted. There you go. And okay. the day I got promoted, it was you're going to tech rescue. Right. <laughs> oh. Great. I know a lot about tech rescue. <laughs> You're about to. Yeah, there's ropes and there's knots and there's a whole bunch of stuff. So there'd be a leaning on the, the senior members of that crew. Of course. With you coming in. Of course. Yeah. And I had a great senior, great senior man there. Um, he's moved off due to the acting captain's process, but I told the whole crew, pull as much information out of this individual as you can before they depart because we know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm at risk again, the next captain's exam of losing his replacement as a senior man and this, this individual has been 11 years on the job and they've been in this station from day one right um so we we lean on that individual a lot mm-hmm. whether or not he's the actual assigned instructor for a topic he has the knowledge he has the experience right. in the background and he can offer input as well uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's good to see and and i think the guys there they they respect that Mm-hmm. So, so that being said, right, you, we tend to have these, I think every TR crew, maybe even every squad crew, every hazmat crew could look and say, if, if you had a call, like he's the one, right? We have our captains, but he's, yeah. he's or he or she is the one we're going to go to. Right. So that being said, and then you also talked about how, if you had to pick a, pick a crew for a truck, this is how you'd allocate everybody, but people go on vacation, right? People take days off. We, you get imports. So, uh, you know, uh, how do you feel about that? Like that, that there's, if everyone leans on that person a little too much, next thing you know, they're off for a while, then everyone's, everyone has a bit of unease, right? Cause they haven't stepped up to yeah. fill that void. Is yeah. it, are we always at risk at that, of, of that happening? Of course, with, with the current promotional system, with vacations and so forth. Yeah. So you gotta have a deep team. Guys are moving around all the time. Um, and as you know, we can drop down to seven individuals in a two truck station. Right. Well, I need at minimum six individuals just to operate. So if I have a, a rookie who's new on my shift and then an import or whatever the case may be when I'm at seven, I'm done. So there's been times before where I've called around the city to ask certain individuals, hey, listen, if we get a tech rescue call today, I'm going to special call in your rig. Don't be surprised. I'm going to make you a safety officer or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to draw on those acting captains that, you know, last year they were on whatever shift we'll call it. And this year they're on our shift and they're not working out of the TR hall, but they still have some of that skill set in mm-hmm. them. It's still, still been taught to them and they still have that, that knowledge and experience that if I need to draw on it for, you know, the benefit of the community and for the safety of my own members, then, then I'll call the truck in from the other side of the city. And right. we've got great chief officers that, that agree that, you know, yeah, okay, that needs to be done. And I'm not going to get reprimanded for asking for that anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think with, uh, you know, with people bumping up to captain, there's not really a lot of control in keeping those people at the hall. Uh, but from my experience, and, and perhaps you'll agree, I think there's um, there's some value in um, keeping people at stations if they want to stay there. 
for as long as they want to be there. And there's always been this attitude of like, well, if we need them, we can draw them in. And, and, and you're, you're actually, you have to do that now, right? Like, because they don't maybe keep some people around. So, uh, you know, in, in the, in the um, spirit of keeping things fair and everybody moves and everybody, right, um, they may shift uh, platoons. Um, there's something to be said about oh, for keeping sure. teams, specialty teams together. For sure. Um, and like you say, it's always been a fairness thing and, and we always want to treat everybody the same. But who's it fair to? exactly and we're not here for us we're here for them that's where i'm driving right <laughs> yes. like it's, it's not about us and yes. if we have a skill set and the city's invested a lot in us um in regards to that skill set then why are we just throwing it out the window after three years who's your a team yeah right like that's that's what we want to get we want to get that team together keep them together as long as they want to be there and and keep building on that foundation and keep moving forward um it was interesting i did a speaking engagement for the firefighting in Canada career expo here a few weeks ago. And I called our current fire chief and asked, of course asked if I could speak and wear a uniform and represent the department. He said, yes. He's, and he said, pass something on for me. He said, tell them that I'm making a $4 million investment in them over their career. Hmm. He says, and I expect $4 million out of them. What are they going to give back to this city for that $4 million that they're going to take out of it? Sure. And I thought about that and of course I did mention it in my lecture and then I thought about my role as a captain and myself and the other captain that, that works out of my station. We're responsible for $40 million over a 30 year career. Sometimes numbers matter. Yeah. And what are we doing? What are we doing? What are our people doing to make sure that that city and those citizens get the $40 million out of us? Right. You know, we, we spend a million dollars on a new aerial. What are we doing to get that $40 million? Well, you definitely don't want a, a Keystone um, cop YouTube video. Yeah, exactly. That's that we're not, we're not purchasing that. Yeah. And when you have to have to train, it's, it's a privilege to do what we do. You shouldn't, shouldn't say have to train. Um, but when there's grumbling and growling and we hear about people that don't want to get out and they don't want to train, it's kind of disheartening. Um, you know, people uh, lose sight of what they said they would do. Oh, for sure. And you know, we all have days where we're kind of distracted. Life happens. Life happens to all of us. Um, but there's certain individuals out there and it goes, I'm sure, across the board, across North America and the world that sure. people are there for the paycheck. And industries. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just our industry, right? right? <laughs> exactly. But I think we sometimes hold ourselves up as different from other industries, right? And we are, in, and but every industry is unique. Mm -hmm. and we are different. It's, it's an honor to get to do what we do, that the people in their worst moments entrust us to solve their problems. Mm -hmm. That's a privilege uh, to be able to, to be held in that regard and to be held in the regard that we are by the public. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the Keystone Cops and luckily for the most part, the public has a hard time recognizing when things get jumbled up and bumbled up. Um, and it's, you know, they, they see the heroic side of the job and, and everything else. It's the um, rose-colored glasses. Yeah, right right. exactly. But There's a lot of forgiveness, a lot of leeway. For sure, but they shouldn't have to forgive. Right. You know, we should be out there, A-game, every time we go out the door. And, you know, to kind of to kind of come back to what you were saying about the A-team and, and switching people around, you know, maybe we do need to look at just putting people based on what they can offer in the position 
to make the department, to make the shift, whatever the case may be, the best that it can be. Where based, their passion is. Based on knowledge and experience and their yeah. passion, yeah. But but everyone will rise to the challenge, won't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. When the moment comes, they'll just rise to the challenge. Exactly. They'll, they'll pull it out of somewhere. Yeah, and I, I know you're familiar <laughs> with the quote, and I believe it was the United States Navy SEAL that said it, that no, you're not going to rise to the challenge. Right. You're simply going to default to your right. level of training. Right. And it's true, and we see it. And Aaron stated it even further that your default when it when it's really comes down is the fetal position. Yeah, yeah. If you take it far enough. Yep. So yeah, he's exactly right. Right, yeah. right. So speaking about uh, passion, uh, you have forcible entry as a passion, right? What was your foray into that, and 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 how did you get involved? Well, I ended up looking uh, at a course. I think it was back in like 2006, and I was kind of just stalled out in my career. And uh, I said, you know what? I've only ever learned forcible entry from a textbook. This course looks interesting. There's props and everything else. And it was uh, part of a provincial conference. So I ended up taking taking this course. On your own dime? On my own dime. Yeah. And on my own time. Yeah. And uh, so I went. I take the course. I meet up with the uh, the instructor, the lead instructor, who had his own company at the time. And, and of course, that was Andrew Broussard. Um, so I met up with Andrew. Had a great day of training and uh, exchanged email addresses like he always did at the end. And uh, so I went about my way and I thought, wow, this is really interesting stuff. Uh, I've been missing this. I've been missing a lot. And that's what opened my eyes to, you know what? There's more to the job. There's a whole other side of it called truck work that I really wasn't familiar with. Right. And I was kind of disappointed in myself that, you know, I, I, held myself in a, in a fairly high regard on the job that, yeah, I'm passionate. I, I love the job. I love doing what I'm doing. I'm proud of what I do. Um, and then I went, wait a minute here. You're not as good as you thought. You're missing a big chunk of this here. So uh, six, eight months go by, the winter goes by, and, and I end up uh, signing up for another course. It was a different, different provincial organization, but they were offering the same course. So I sign up for that, and I'm waitlisted. Okay, I'm waitlisted. So I get a hold of Andrew and I say, you know what, I was going to take this course. I'm waitlisted, but so be it, you know. So he's like, oh, we're, we're teaching over here. Come on out and hang out with the other guys for the day. Hang out with the instructors. Well, of course, I'm going to jump on that opportunity, right? Again, mm-hmm. it's just the exposure and the experience mm-hmm. and so forth. So sure, yeah. So I meet some guys from New York City, some guys from the Chicago area, and everyone's kind of convening to teach. And I uh, had a great day. I just reset props. That's all I did. I had helped set up. I was a grunt. I reset props and kept my ears open and my mouth shut. Um, when I was, you know, part of the conversation, ask some questions, draw the knowledge out of those individuals. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I did that. That was great. And then it wasn't a month later. I'm still on the wait list for this, this other course. And my phone rings and it's Andrew. And he said, how would you like to come out and teach hinges and props? No way. Or hinges and <laughs> I'd uh, hate it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hinges and uh, padlocks. P- perfect. Yeah, of course. Right. So he's like, yeah, show up early and we'll go over the props and everything else. And that was the station that I had just helped helped out with. Uh, so I, I show up that day. We get everything set up. And of course, for those that have taken um, what was then the Brotherhood Instructors Forceful Entry course, there's a two-hour PowerPoint in the middle or in the morning, sorry. Mm-hmm. And uh, what the instructors are doing during that time is they're out and they're on the props. And uh, we're setting them up, we're tuning them, we're making sure they work well. So that course, even though I didn't get to take the course 
I got to force a few more doors. I got to run the saws a bit more at lunch. And again, just that exposure and, and wanting to be there and, and so forth. Uh, and then that was kind of it. That's, that's where it took off from. Uh, within a few months, my phone rang. Again, it was Andrew, and uh, he offered me a job. And probably for about a week, you couldn't uh, you couldn't have wiped the smile off my face with a shovel. <laughs> it was phenomenal. So, uh, and that was it. I took off from there, and I committed a couple, three years to to traveling with with that group of instructors. And and uh, I've always said that I, I took so much more away from that than I ever gave to it. And that that really opened me up. That forcible entry course opened the doors for me to learn about truck work, VES, aggressive searches, flat roof ops, pitch roof ops, you know, it, uh, it opened, opened me up to that side of the job. And your passion for RIT, for RIT came from there? Passion for RIT actually came from, uh, from the one week course we did in our department. Yeah. Um, and some good instructors, again, like the, the instructor makes the program, right? And mm -hmm. we had some good instructors on my shift at that time. And one of them since moved on has become a platoon chief. And uh, I realized that, again, something else in the fire service that I hadn't been exposed to. I was like, wow. So I end up calling, uh, calling, talking to my stepfather out in Nova Scotia, who's a member of the fire service. And he says, you know what? We don't do any of that out here. Can you come out and share some of that with, with your brother and some of the others? And I said, yeah, sure. Sure, so I make a, put a little program together and come out. And, you know, it's one of these fly-by-night, the kind of sketchy operations. There's no insurance. There's no company made. <laughs> okay, this, this I don't like this. Yeah, um, no flip-flops is the only rule. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I don't like this. Um, so I ended up actually starting up my own company. Amazing. And putting uh, putting the company name to it, getting insurance, uh, getting a business license and so forth. And I'm not a businessman, uh, but... Uh, took off for a couple of years out there and uh you know probably trained 150 firefighters maybe 200 firefighters in firefighter survival and then writ and we were throughout the maritimes and yeah it was uh it was good it was a lot of camaraderie mm -hmm. um we were you know and the probably the highlight of that whole that whole course was when we got an email from one of the students that we taught and he ended up ended up underneath of a trailer in a mobile home park fighting a fire and before he took our course, he said he could have never done that, the, the mental aspect of it, mm -hmm. of being in that confined mm -hmm. space and, and fighting a fire on the underside of this thing. And, yeah. and he thanked us. So, you know, that that's kind of what wrapped it all up, made it made it all worthwhile, right. all the hours of just doing business stuff and yeah. and everything else. Like, yeah, okay, we, we did the right thing here. We've we've helped the fire service and, yeah. and we've, we've, you know, we've made it a bit better based on what we were teaching and what we're doing. Right, because really I... I my wake up call was going into training to teach. I think mm -hmm. teaching was, it's a highlight or it was a highlight for me. Of course. And I'll take every opportunity I can ever get to, yeah. to learn and to teach, to, to do both at the same time. Right. Exactly. And, that, and that's exactly what we're doing. And I think as instructors, we need to realize that we, we can teach a task, we can teach a skill and the student's going to be better for it. But if we can instill passion, mm -hmm. if we can we can promote the fire service and promote what we're teaching and we can instill a passion into that student, they're going to go away from that with a quest for knowledge. And that one skill that I taught them is going to be nothing compared to what they're going to find out there on their own. Mm -hmm. And and that quest and that, that drive, if we can get that in them, they're going to be 10 times the firefighter I could ever dream of making them right. um, based on a day or a two-day course. Yeah. Right? And that's kind of what happened to me, um, you know, because of good instructors and, and good programs and a little bit of drive, 
that's that's all it takes. And really, um, you know, you touching on that firefighter into the mobile home, um, I came to realize pretty quick that, uh, you know, even coming up with things that maybe that the department lacked and needed, we can put together whatever course we want. We can bring everybody through, but if it doesn't make it into someone's brain and then their hands, if they don't use it on a call, if they don't use it in their work, everyone's wasting their time. We've wasted their time. We've wasted our time. So for you to hear that it actually translated into the fire ground is, yeah, that's when you know you're doing something. Exactly. Um, you know, and when, when we talk training and we talk writ, like there's so many opportunities for training on the fire ground, just being, being at the incident. Um, you know, I know when, when I was an acting captain, because of my passion for writ and, and everything else, I got to operate on a writ truck a lot. If I was going to get bumped somewhere, it was usually going to be on a writ truck. And, you know, level one writ, very important. The gathering of the information and the staging of the tools and everything else is very important. But, you know, when you, when you start operating at a level two writ call and you're forcing doors and you're throwing ladders and you're constantly listening, it's, it's a great opportunity to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the guys have to have a certain knowledge base coming into this or they shouldn't be there. But as a writ officer, it's a great opportunity to go, hey, did you hear that? What should we be expecting next? Right. He just made a transmission with his vibro alert going. We should see him exit the alpha any second now. And if we don't, something wrong. Right. And, you know, and to take that opportunity on those calls to, to teach and instruct and, again, to, to pass it on. That, mm-hmm. You know, writ's an important job. Um, probably the most important job you could ever be tasked for is, is to go in and, and rescue a brother or a sister who's mm-hmm. who's in need of help. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to get any crazier, for sure. It's yeah. you know it's going to be one of the hardest tasks mentally and physically that you're probably ever gonna mm-hmm. ever gonna have to pull off on the fire ground. And we need to be ready for that as a fire service, as a department, and as a writ team. That you know what it's more than just standing around leaning on an axe handle or leaning on a roof hook on a front lawn watching the place burn and talking about hockey or football or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Catching up with someone you haven't seen in a while. And yeah. There's time for that afterwards. Yeah. Even on the way to the call, right? Where are they? Where is that crew now? What mm-hmm. floor are they on? What corner are they in? Yeah. What subdivision is it? What What are we looking for for housing? Are we going to have, uh, you know, and, and now we've got the the luxury of the mobile data unit where we can pull up mapping and I can say, okay, this is on a ravine. So you know what? We're going to have to get the second floor window. May need the 35, 35 in the rear. Right. Right? Like just little things yeah, like we that. We never throw that though. It's, yeah. It's too heavy. It's too heavy. Too much work. <laughs> so, but I mean, little things like just, okay, we've only on this pumper, we've got a 24 foot extension ladder and we've got a 16 footer uh, mm-hmm. roof ladder. Well, based on grade, we're going to get our 24 to the rear and we're going to use our 16 footer on a porch roof and we're going to cover two windows and sure. just always thinking and, and trying mm-hmm. to be on top of it. Because when that May Day comes in, that's not the time to figure it out. Like you need to have a good cache of equipment laid out and it needs to be the proper equipment. Like we can't think inside the box as a writ officer. If there's an attic fire and the guys are working under it, you know what? Get yourself some step cribbing, some pry bars, get ready to create a fulcrum to lift, you know, maybe have the airbags present on the tarp, review it with the crew real quick. Okay. This is who's going to operate these. If the ceiling comes in and so forth, like if you're behind the eight ball on a mayday, like we're doing, we're doing that brother or that sister a huge disservice. Right. And ourselves and the crew we're with, because you're, just, putting, you're just going to be a bigger problem. Of course, yeah. Right, right. Um, you said there's a really, you, you have an interesting view on staging at a call. Yeah. How, how do you stage? Well, we stage about 20 feet from the incident commander. Hmm. We bring all of our tools forward that we think we're going to need for this run. 
Um, and we are in that line of sight. And why is that? Because we like to go to work. There's no sense going to the dance and not seeing the dance floor. Um, we like to go to work. Are you like that on the dance floor too? Oh, you should see me on yeah. the dance floor. <laughs> you can imagine, eh? A couple of beers, some East Coast music. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's pretty good. Perfect. Um, but uh, yeah, when, when we show up, you'll we'll hear two or three trucks that are that are staging and you know what yeah okay i'm on scene and then we walk forward and my job is to keep my crew safe throughout the and and the big picture of it my job is to keep my crew safe um so what i like to do is get them forward and get them as much experience to a fire ground and as much exposure to a fire ground as i can and whether or not we get assigned anything we still had a great view of it we still looked at how the layout went for the first in line we looked at you know, maybe how the forcible entry went based on the condition of the door, whatever the case may be. But we can take something away from that. It wasn't a wasted response where we sat four houses back, backed out of the cul-de-sac and turned around, went to the station. Mm -hmm. We went forward. And usually what will happen is the chief will see that crew. Oh, yeah, I need a crew for this. These guys are there. They're ready. They're going to get the assignment. I don't need to call them on the radio. I just yeah. peek my head out the window and yeah. yell at them. They're ready. Right. And uh, And that's how you get work. Do you think this mindset started, um, you know, just to quickly take you back to your role as a 14-year-old, right? You're you're on scene, but you're close, and you're watching and learning. Do you think you've carried that forward? Is that, do you think that's where that started? Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. Um, I just like to go to fires. Right. Like, <laughs> that's all I wanted to do since yeah. I was, you know, 13, 14 years right. old was, was to go to fires. And, uh, and yeah, quite possibly that's, mm. that's where it is, but... But I like to be there. I like to have my guys there and the more mm -hmm. exposure and, and so forth they can get. The days I'm off, the less I have to worry. Right. You know, because my job is to make sure that they're they're safe and they're healthy. Right. Uh, writing for Captain, did you write the first time you were eligible? I did not. Okay. I did not. Uh, I was told, you're crazy. You need those th three seniority points yeah. and you need Whether you're points. ready or not, get in there. Yeah, you got to get in there. You got to do it. No, you don't. <laughs> what you need if to you want to get a job and get a raise, you need to get in there. Yeah. What you need to do is commit to the process to make sacrifices to study mm -hmm. and and write a good exam and you'll get promoted at that time i was just getting into the the teaching portion of my career where i was going heavy into the instructing mm -hmm. i had two young kids at home um, and i had a very understanding wife who was letting me go you know throughout north america to teach mm -hmm. for days on end and uh, i decided you know what i don't I don't need to write right now. I'm in a great spot in my career. I'm happy. The crew I was working with in the, in the north end of the city, phenomenal bunch. Um, a lot of the guys from that first station that I started my career with were there. I was enjoying work. I was enjoying where I was on the back. And to be quite honest, I didn't think I knew enough about the back to move on to take the front. Yes. So I gave myself three years of teaching and of training and of trying to do more and learn more. And then I went, okay. You know what? Yeah, you're never fully comfortable with the back of the of the rig, and there's always something to learn. But I, I feel confident I can move to the front now. Right. And, and you do and, feel confident yeah. until that first day where you're in the front seat, <laughs> and then uh, right. Yeah, it's like being a rookie again. So. Yeah. So and and you you know prior to writing you were saying too you had a you had a really good handle on a balance of work and life. It was sustainable. For sure. For, for probably a short amount of time, right? Yeah. Because there's only so long you can be gone for days on end for a year after two years, three years, four years until it become okay. That's a little much. Yeah. And it is a little much, right? Like for sure. Um, yeah. Like I say, very understanding wife. Um, and then, uh, yeah. Where the hell were we going with that? <laughs> 
just the balance of, of everything out, right? You're balancing your life with, with your work. Yeah. And when I actually started to study for the captain's exam, it was just like being away for days on end because the kids are going to daycare extra. Right. You know, there, there's a financial loss that the family took because we're paying more daycare so that I can be at a library. I'm not doing as much housework around the house through the day. So my right. wife's picking up on that at night when I'm, you know, at the firehouse or whatever. So the whole family sacrifices so that I can, can move on, right. um, with my career. But, uh, yeah. And then, uh, so what were your first experiences like as a captain? You, uh, you vezzed as a captain, have you not? Yeah, we, we did Just a vez. back to vez again. Yeah. You did this thing with vez. <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's a great <laughs> right place, right time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we had a, a report of a gentleman trapped uh, second floor in a certain bedroom and, uh, we were second due apparatus on the aerial and I called for the Vez as we could see the column of smoke in the sky. Like, okay, the radio report is he's in this bedroom on the, in this area. Well, this is Vez. This is when it's needed. And, uh, probably the fire where I've been most proud of, of the crew of my crew, um, because of their aggressive actions. It, uh, and it was funny cause we had just had a tragic fire in the city, um, the shift before. And I went into the, the station that morning. And I started to write, occupy their space on the yes. whiteboard. And I didn't get it finished. I had to drop the marker. And I never got back to it. And I wanted to go over, okay, if we have this fire, this is what I expect. And this is how I want us to operate. And I never, I never got a chance to write it. I never got a chance to bring them all into the room and to lay those expectations out. Mm -hmm. um, but at 3.30 that afternoon, when we had a well-advanced fire on the main floor it had taken the main floor and we're starting to go up the stairs um we uh those guys did exactly what i was going to write on that whiteboard i didn't have to write it is this the townhouse this is the townhouse yeah fire. it's okay i remember you telling me about this one. yeah i didn't have to write it on the whiteboard they knew they were in position they did exactly what i expected um, before the line was charged my senior guy he you know does the head first dive in sweeps behind the door real quick gets that you know six feet plus his reach into that space where they might find somebody line gets charged they push in um and when he when he come out i knew it was hot in there he come out he was smoldering mm. like the steam was coming off of his of his yeah. gear just um, in long enough to get in just in long enough get out. to sweep yeah. yeah just to make yeah. sure and then we went to the rear through an adjoining townhouse and of course fires blowing out the back of it the window that needs to be ves is is exposed to fire so um the one gentleman in the back of the aerial goes back, grabs a hand line as I'm throwing the ladder up. He knocks all the fire down. Did you pull 65 through the house? Yeah, we pulled 65. Yeah, okay, through let's the clarify that. Yeah. This was when a, it, it's a hand line. Yeah. But it's a 65 hand line. It's a 65. It's a two and a half for the, those in the States that are. Yeah. 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 For those <laughs> that. Uh, we're talking metric. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the two and a half with smooth bore. Well, we got to throw that in too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with an inch and an eight smooth bore. Um, believe it or not, can be staffed with one individual. Yes, it can. And uh, he knocked down a bunch of fire in the rear. And I ended up uh, throwing the 24 foot up by myself. By yourself, really? Yeah, weird. Imagine, eh? Eh? Yeah, yeah, weird. Yeah. It can be done. It's not magic. No. I don't have a wand. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we get, I get that thrown up and go in and, and do the VES. And uh, conditions were, were favorable. That was definitely a survivable space. Um, but what ended up happening was the gentleman did self-evacuate from the dwelling. Uh, he was with a neighbor. But uh, the other neighbors thought they could hear somebody in that bedroom yelling. So... Uh, yeah, I got in quick VES and uh, and out and, you know, we hear it 
well, we never work as a as an individual on the fire ground. And like you say, for those listening in America, the Canadian culture kind of is that, oh, you always have to work in pairs. And, yes. Well, we do everything in teams. Yeah, we do everything in teams. Sure you do. Yeah. So, um, and while well, captains don't have the VES, you'll just be on standing on the ground. Right. Yeah, no. What are the odds of this? Yeah, that's exactly. My, that's my most hated phrase. What are the odds? Yeah. Yeah, it'll never happen here. That's our job to... to we have to not be ready. play the odds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have to be ready. Um, right. And uh, yeah, got to do the VES. Right. And uh, I, you know, I've read a few places like uh, minimum standards become maximum ex- expectations. Yeah, there, there's no place for for minimum standards in our job. Uh, when I walk in in the morning, I think it was uh, Mark Van Appenhead on a, a gold star on one of his uh, one of his sites, and it written right in it is "You suck." Yeah. Right? You've probably seen it, eh? I have, And yes. I'm sure a lot of the listeners have probably seen that star. Yeah. Uh, I have a copy of that. It's on my locker, right underneath my name tag. So every day, yep, you suck. Okay, right. good. That's where I stand. Let's get better. Right. Um, and that goes for the whole crew. Like, we come in, we want to be better. And you know what? Some days we train more than others. Some days we train morning, afternoon, quick drill in the evening. Mm-hmm. Some days it's afternoon, evening. Mm-hmm. You know, and every now and then, some days it's... Okay, we're just going to do a quick afternoon drill. Everyone's been busy. We got beat up last shift, you know, and, and to give the guys that mental break. Yeah. Um, well, but, if you're running calls, you're training. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the job. So, so. we run about 3,000 plus calls, or calls a year out of that firehouse. So mm-hmm. it gets busy. Mm-hmm. But uh, You see, you mentioned Occupy Their Space on fires. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to draw a line to the to our own department and with our own halls. Um, and this mentality of the minimum standards. Um, and I, I feel it's a real war of attrition, right? Um, we either uh, let those numbers with the minimum standards ma- um, attitude grow and, um, and occupy our space or, or we grow and occupy the space. Yeah. So how do, we, how do we do that? How do we occupy the space and set the standard? I think it comes down, comes down to the, the culture and the passion. And for if every set of shifts or every shift, one person can can become more passionate about the job, any aspect of it, right? Any just become passionate about one aspect, and as long as the passion grows, they're gonna open the other doors, you know. And the culture within the firehouse is where it needs to start. It doesn't need to start in the training division when you're assigned. To go to training for an afternoon for this that or the other thing it needs to start with the senior men it needs to start with the captains it needs to start with the junior personnel it just needs to start um you know like i say it's an absolute honor to do what we do and at oh dark 30 in the morning when you know mom or dad's on the front lawn saying that their child is up in that bedroom or their mom or dad is in in a bed and they're bedridden in the rear you know we've got thousands of dollars worth of equipment hundreds of hours and thousands of hours worth of training and the knowledge and experience to do a job and all they've got is us mm-hmm. at that point and we need to be ready for that and like you said earlier you know we're not going to rise to that occasion mm-hmm. uh, we need to instill the passion in the individuals and and make sure that you know what they they are ready for that and i don't think there's a perfect road map to do that i don't think there's one way to do it there's some great social media sites out there that can help. There's speakers that are much better than myself um, that I refer to, you know, on a, on a regular basis. And you mentioned Occupy Their Space. Mm-hmm. It was funny because I just 
watched the other day for probably the 10th time is Brian Olson's speech from mm-hmm. Brian Olson Brothers in Battle. Yeah. Those guys on the West Coast. And, yeah. and, you know, they're doing great things. And and Stephen and, with Refined by Fire now. And, and Refined by Fire, okay. yeah. And I know we, we could go on for, for hours just listing all these. For sure. These. I've actually listed them all on the, the website. Oh, that's right. For, yes. for the uh, for the podcast. Yeah, so, and I wanted this was a, this was key for me to. Uh, I see. I, I see myself. We don't all need to be breaking ground in the fire service. Yeah. Right. I I think I've come to realize for myself is that I, I want to act more as an amplifier. Yeah. The job needs to cycle. A repeater. Yeah. An amplifier. Yeah. Uh, to to gather all of these this information these people and put them in one place and then so people can come to it and find it and then learn through them. Mm-hmm. And we all have a role and we don't all have to be breaking ground. And there are some really great leaders that we can get behind and push, right? For sure. And and that's, yeah, that's part of it, I guess. It's just, you know, like we could, like I say, we could list names and, sure. and great fire service individuals. And, and uh, you know, it's, for me, for me, I've taken so much from, from different individuals in the fire service that I actually sometimes have a hard time keeping it all straight. Like, yes. Like, was that a Tom Brennan quote? Yeah. Or was that a Mike Champo quote? It was a right. truck quote. Was, yeah. was that Champ or was that Brennan? Like, I think if I say anything that ever sounds like a quote, it's it's not it, mine. Yeah. It's from somewhere. It's, exactly. I, it's it, fallen in my brain from somebody much smarter than me. Exactly. So if any of the <laughs> listeners out there are going, yeah, that, that Jeff Clayton, he actually sounds smart. Yeah, yeah. it's not me. It's, Don't put quotes around my, <laughs> yeah. my comments. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not me. Ask me to uh, try and dig up the site. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So did you, uh, did you ever get back into volunteering? Um, you asking from a union standpoint? Uh, no, (laughs) (laughs) I I did actually. Yes. I I did get back into volunteering. Um, we moved, uh, probably five years ago and, uh, there was a volunteer deputy job that opened up probably six months after I joined that department. A very small rural department uh, runs probably 70 calls a year. So, uh, I applied for the deputy's job and was successful so it opened my eyes up to a whole different side of the fire service again you know another door is has opened and the job is so large that every few months you kind of every few years i should say you you learn something new about it and uh, the administrative side of it was was definitely an eye-opener for me that you know what the wheels have changed they turn slow um water boils from the bottom yes it does Uh, so uh my job as as that administrator was to watch that water boil and go, okay, we can we can run with this. Like yeah. th- these people below me are doing good things, yeah. and uh, it doesn't help to have heat blowing from the top. Too. No, <laughs> or so it does help, right? Yeah. It does help to have heat blowing from both in both oh, directions. Yeah, don't be that roadblock on them. Yeah, got passionate yeah. individuals. Don't be throwing ice in the pot. Yeah, exactly. Right. And uh, but I did realize that you know what? Yeah, there are budget constraints, and there are certain things that yeah. that as as a firefighter, and especially as a young firefighter, that you know we. You get frustrated sometimes when we don't get this or we don't get that or we need to go down this road. Um, as an administrator, you kind of see it as, can we do that? Do do we have the resources? Do we have the ability to conduct ourselves and actually go into this? Like, you know, for example, if you take a small rural f- fire department and they want to get into high angle rope rescue mm-hmm. just for rope rescue mm-hmm. well do you have the resources and the staffing are your people going to be committed enough to do all the training to yeah. keep up the standard to limit yourself from liability you can throw a rope on a truck yeah and someone's going to get hurt right? yeah. like yeah. so it becomes a safety issue and a liability issue and like you mm-hmm. say you don't want to roadblock anything that's coming up from your people but there are certain mm-hmm. things that sometimes have to be have to be set aside and yeah i did uh you know i did learn a lot about that so and, and as then, much as we uh you know, we could tend to um, point fingers 
uh, you know, uh, at chiefs yeah, and, and just be angry and say, you know, we should do this. We should do this. Why can't this? There's all these, but to build relationships, if you can, if, if there's, and there comes down to tact, I think, and, and appreciation for all the divisions and what they do, right. And it's operating as a team and have, maybe have a longer term goal of getting something done. But if you can build relationships and, and you have a champion in that spot, mm-hmm. that's when it happens, right? Yeah, that's, for sure. There's a lot of different, there's a difference between complaining about something and, and, uh, and working towards something, right? Yeah. And, and what I found as, you know, and since that first small volunteer deputy job, I moved on again. I'm kind of like a gypsy, I guess, in that yeah. sense that, uh, now I'm with Spreading small town. Your charm. Yeah. Yeah. Whether, whether people like it or not, I guess. <laughs> now I'm with a small town as the deputy there, running about 300 calls, you know, volunteer. Um, but uh, I found that it's the culture of the volunteer fire service. And you talk about those relationships and, and getting things done that, uh, especially as that middle management role, which is kind of where I see myself, you have to build that relationship with the fire chief. Right. Luckily enough, the guy I work for, great relationship, you know, great communicator, and we're able to bounce things off each other. Mm-hmm. Guys come to me. My job is to listen. And we can bounce things off of each other. And mm-hmm. we can rectify issues when they're small. Um, because of the fact that it is a small town. Everybody knows everybody. Right. The, the department is small. It's not like you don't run into somebody on the fire ground and go, I've never seen this person before. Right. I was going to say, yeah, like we're, we're now, our department's in a bit, a bit of like, the, I think the teen years, right? There's a lot of uncomfortable awkwardness from going from this, what was, you know, a smaller department where you knew everybody. And now we've, we've just, it's just, it's, you're, we're going through puberty and we're growing so fast that we don't even know how our, how long our arms and legs are anymore. And we're, we're pretty gangly, right? Yeah. Like, uh, and as the bureaucracy grows with that, then, then it, it takes more to make change. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the small town departments, you can make a lot of change a lot faster, I think, right? You still need the right people in the right place, but for sure, you need the right people. Um, but the money's not always there. That's that's the downside too, of course. And I think that goes with a small department or a big department. Uh, it's the funding has a lot to do with with operations. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if you can keep the culture upbeat and you can keep that place moving forward, mm-hmm. then you're doing your job as an administrator. You're doing a part of your job as an administrator. Right. Um, so I, I do see that kind of as, as my role is to, is to come in and, you know, be that, that good communicator and, and work mm-hmm. on that aspect of it and, and listen to the fire chief and bounce ideas off the fire chief and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and to be there for him, you know, cause I know I mentioned earlier that I love the deputy chief's position because when the chief's gone mm-hmm. and I step up, yeah. I run the show. Right. But when the chief's there, sometimes I drop back and I'm a company officer again because <laughs> yeah. there's not enough company officers showing up. So for so, a guy like you, you get to play all positions. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm on the hand line. Right. Or we're, we're pushing in. And Perfect. Yeah. So yeah. And you mentioned, uh, you know, not seeing an administrative position as a position of privilege. For sure, it's a position of sacrifice, especially. I, I can't speak to the larger, you know, metropolitan areas, but to these small communities, it's it's a position of sacrifice and as uh as my chief sometimes says it's it's like being being dad and you've got you know you've got 30 little ones that they're going to need you from time to time and right. you know you've got grown children out there right. just like any any dad would right um and they're going to need you from time to time and they're going right. to call you and they're going to say hey i need advice or i need this and i mm-hmm. need that and mm-hmm. again i think that's where that good listener and that effective communicator and right. and being willing to go you know what okay i had an appointment at 3 30 today but this individual is trusted me with their problem. Mm-hmm. 
right. and they need my help right now, and I need to be I need to be there for them, and and those small time chiefs, small town chiefs positions. I right. think that's that's a big part of it, and uh, like With, said, without without helicoptering and micromanaging. Yeah, just being there, just being there for right. the guys, and you know, and we have everything set up for EAP and post-traumatic stress and critical incident stress and so forth. Um, all that is all set up, but sometimes they just, for a small family yeah. issue or whatever the case may be, they just need someone to talk to. Yeah. And uh, I think often as a, as an administrator and as a fire chief, that's who they're going to go to. They're going to go to that trusted person. And, and it's, again, I use the term privilege. It's a privilege to have them come to you. Right. They trust you. Yeah, with uh, with peer support work is, uh, you know, Mandy and I are always, I'm going to have Mandy on here eventually. Uh, we're yeah. always pushing that um, we want to teach ourselves out of a job. Yeah. And, that, yeah. Uh, it, the whole department should have run as a peer support team. Yeah, you'd know that better than better than anybody, yeah, right? So like, we should all be, because we're all capable of it. Of course. You know, sometimes we see people that have championed something or they have a passion for something that they know they're the only ones that can do it because they have special training. And, but you get back to... Yeah. Just general empathy and compassion. Yeah, exactly. And being a being a human being and being humble about your own experiences and and yeah. uh, anybody can do it. It's really it's really it's easy, right? Yeah, just yeah. being there, being a good person, yeah. and being yeah. available for sure. Um, I talked with Zeus about how uh, how fire prevention. Uh, you know, speaking of other divisions, right? How they they never get the accolades probably that they're due. Um, we're in the position of showing up when it's when it's uh, YouTube worthy. Um, you know, and, and, you know, and, and it is, uh, and there was, you know, there's a, a video just posted recently of, uh, um, a crew that, uh, showed up and threw a, a roof ladder to balcony and, and I'm sure you saw it and or maybe you did and pulled three, three children off the balcony and their mother. And, um, it doesn't get any more important than that. Uh, but speaking to other divisions, right. They, they don't necessarily get the accolades for the 10,000 people that they saved for keeping a place safe. So, yeah, uh, I agree 100%. Uh, one of my experiences at the Provincial Fire College through the company officer program was listening to a gentleman speak about code compliance and community relationships and partnerships. And, and his, his take on it was that effective code compliance, effective community relationships will save more lives than any truck company will mm-hmm. throughout their entire career. Right. And when you look at the large loss of life fires that we've had in North America, you know, some of this stuff is code compliance issue. Right. Um, and when you look at it in that light that, yeah, having that exit door that is proper and it's not blocked and it's illuminated properly and so forth. Yeah. What, what they do when they go in those fire prevention officers, you know, and even for us when they go in and they go, okay, you, you can't have all this product and all this stock here in this location. It's not just for the public. When, yeah. when it's black and sooty and hot in there, that door that that RIT team needs to force open, if they force it open to come get you and your crew, and now there's a stack of bicycles or whatever the case may mm-hmm. be, it, it, between your exit safely and you know, and where you're at and, and the trouble you're in, mm-hmm. you know, they save lives. Then you're a stat. Like you said, yeah. It's, it's not all YouTube yeah. and Hollywood, yeah. but the work they do is very important to the public. And to us as a suppression. Yeah. We went into a, the back of an industrial unit uh, one time. So the offices are all look great. You go into the back where they're storing everything and there's wood mezzanines and and just stacks and stacks of plywood. And then they have wood shelving on the walls with cement mixers close to the ceiling, propane tanks kicking around. You, know, yeah. you walk in there and you think, oh, this is yeah. this is a death trap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For the people that work here and for us. Yeah, exactly. And you know, so, how many product collapses have there been? Like you start soaking down 
I've been to a couple. Yeah. We had Versicold. Versicold, right. Yeah. You start soaking down boxes of product and so forth. Yeah. You start getting collapses internally. Your exits get cut off. Printing factories. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the work they do is, is very important. Uh, and like you say, they don't get the credit they deserve quite often. Yeah. So. Are you still taking courses? Still taking courses. Oh, yeah, yeah. of course. You're not uh, done? No, you, you haven't learned at all? Not done. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? Still taking some, still teaching some. Uh, it, it never ends. So... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, we talked about uh, teaching passion, um, uh, you know, and I think that that you're leading, right? You're leading by example. That showing there's you know, there's nothing to be embarrassed about about having passion and and uh, and still learning. Yeah, it, you know, it's been probably what twenty six years since I first you know walked in and put a pair of high boots on, right. um, and every day trying to get better and we get these kids out of, out of recruit class that, you know, they learned this or they learned that. And sometimes that's new to me. Sometimes it isn't. So you take in that information, you, you weigh it out. You realize, yeah, this is, this is important stuff. Let's, let's roll with this. Let's do with this. Hey, it's what all the cool kids are doing now. Right. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, you never, you never stop taking, at least I'm not going to stop taking courses. Mm-hmm. And so that came up for me actually. Um, you know, and I find like, I think when you start working in other divisions and doing these other jobs, you, you get an insight into why things go that way. And, uh, very often I'd get asked the question, well, you know, why does the recruit class, why are they learning this when we haven't been taught it yet? It's like, well, I have them right now. Yeah. Right. So I'm not going to teach them an old, like an old way or a way that we're moving. Like I'm going to teach them the way that we're moving towards because mm-hmm. I have them right now. I'm not going to teach them a certain way and yeah. then unteach them and teach them a new way a month later. It's only going to confuse them. So it's a lot easier to teach them on that, those two days that you have them versus, you know, to teach an entire department of four or 500 people, yeah. it's going to take a year plus. And right. go- going back to the attitude in the firehouse when they come out onto the floor, if they approach it properly with tact right. and proper timing, you know what? That officer that, or that individual that comes to you and says, why aren't we learning this on the floor? You're right. going to get your opportunity because you're going to get a new recruit. And if you listen to them yeah. and they approach it properly, yeah. they can teach it to you. Or we're bringing you through and the whole department's going to be getting over the next six months. Well, like- there's another option, <laughs> which so, has happened, right? Yeah, and I think for sure. The more we follow through on that, the more people will understand. I think, right? So yeah. we move forward as a as a whole, right? Right. So, um, I think lastly, I think I want to uh, close on talking about uh, about brotherhood. Uh, do you think it's waning? Do you think uh, there's anything we can do to to keep it alive and to to you know to do right by the people that you know, that, that built that tradition and, and how do we move it forward? I think it is waning. And as much as, you know, here we are ironically on a podcast that social media has, has a big part of it. Um, and it's, it's a lot of the bashing. And you mentioned that fire where the gentleman threw the, uh, the guys through the, the roof ladder or straight ladder. I yeah. didn't, I didn't catch the tip of it, whether it was a roof or a straight. Yeah, I think it was a roof. I saw the hooks. So okay. Yeah. Um, and they rescued three kids and a lady off a balcony with yeah. heavy fire behind them. Right. Um, I'm waiting for the bashing to start because the firefighter went up that ladder, probably in a uh, engine operator. Just bunker pants. Pants. That's yeah. it. But he had a job to do. He did. And he put them before himself. Yeah. And they, they I, didn't, they didn't have two minutes. No. Someone is going to bash that individual yeah. and those guys that were at the base of that ladder without their full PPE on. Yeah. And they're going to bash them and they're going to do it from a thousand miles away. Yes. Um, and to me, that's not brotherhood. Right. That's what social media allows us to do. Right. So I think before we even, you know, put on our keyboard safety commander vest right. and, and start to type anything about another department's actions or what they're doing, we really need to reflect on 
what if that was me in that situation? Mm-hmm. You know, what would I have done? Well, I can tell you, if it was the neighbor's ladder and I was in denim, I would have tried to get up that ladder, right? Because right? that's our job. So speaking of social media, I think it can be a, um, it can be a powerful force for good, right? I, I think it's well, easy. Yeah. It's easy to slam. I think you can use any tool and use it as a force for good. And I, and I, I think, you know, I'm definitely trying as hard as I can. And you know what, uh, through all these episodes that we're going to do, um, you know, hopefully I make it past three or four. Of course. And that uh, there's, we're not always going to say or all the things that everyone's going to applaud us and go, oh, I fully, oh, I just, I 100% agree with everything that he's ever yeah. said and the people that he's had on. So we're going to get a few you know, people um, commenting back and forth, which, you know, we've got thick yeah. skin and, and I'm willing to hear different opinions and we're never coming out saying that we're, uh, you know, that we're the be all end all. It's just, it's just a conversation. Right? Yeah. And- so uh, speaking of which, um, you know, we have a, you know, our own department union Facebook page. It's a mm-hmm. closed group and I probably post on there more than I should. <laughs> just, and then very often it's just sharing stuff. It's of not course. really commenting on like, you know. Yeah, um, the amplifier, right? Again, being exact, the amplifier. That's it. Just a repeater and the amplifier. There's, there's, there's better stuff out there than what I, I have to say. But um, uh, the one thing I, I had a thought of, so very often I'll have these thoughts and I'll put it out there for, for people to sort of, you know, chew on and think about is, uh, and you mentioned if you were to show up and you were in denim, like what you would have done. So my, my thought was, um, you know, if, you, if you're driving home today, right? And you're you're coming through a, a subdivision, uh, and you see your first to discover a house fire, right? You've got nothing on but what you're wearing right now, right? How how what are you gonna do, right? Are you gonna are you gonna obviously after you put the call in to get to get resources flowing? Like are you just gonna stand around and wait for two in two out? Are you gonna wait for a full set of bunker gear? I mean, uh, with some situation awareness and some experience, I think you and I both, given time of day, if there's risk of people being inside. Uh, I, I, it's safe to say, I think you're always on the job and I think we would probably peek in and if we can get somewhere and, 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 you know, quick, do a quick flyby through the house, we would probably do so. Of course. And so, so that being said, if we're willing to do that, then, uh, what are you capable of doing with all your stuff on? There you go. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and like, like I mentioned earlier, you've got thousands of dollars worth of equipment yeah hundreds of hours maybe thousands of hours of training and all that knowledge and all that experience yeah and you know they they expect the public has high expectations of of what we're supposed to do right. um and i do see sooner or later if we just stand on the front lawns and plow water and through windows we are going to lose public trust yes sooner or later it will happen mm-hmm. uh, right now we're still held to a very high regard but I don't know how long that's going to last. Right. And if you're able to, if we're able to, uh, judge our, our protective equipment, street clothes and act accordingly, then, you know, if we know our equipment properly, we can, we can judge it as well. Right. You can look at something and know I can make that or. Yeah. Again, to go back to kind of, and to give credit to, uh, to the guys on the West coast and brothers in battle and, and to Brian's speech, um, you know, we can't write people off from the front lawn, no. stand in there with all that equipment and all those resources and say, nope, there's nobody alive in there. You know, we got to get at least in there to make an effort. We have to occupy that space. And, and, you know, we had a, we had a structure fire with my volley department probably three weeks ago and it was blowing out the back. There was a collapse of the one story addition that was on the back of this two story house. And we made a push in the front and we get in there and we occupied that space for probably five minutes until we realized, we're fighting fire on two fronts. 
the BTU are outweighing the GPM here. Yeah. You know, just keeping it simple. We're you not, realize you're not winning. We're not winning. Yes. And we need to redeploy so that we can be in a better position to win yes. based on the limited resources we have right now. But but the but the but small lines are. always put line, put fires out. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what we ended up doing was stretching the two and a half to the rear. But uh, we did get in there. We were in there for, like I say, three, four, five minutes, whatever it was. Right. And we occupied from the front door to the bottom of the interior stairwell. And we occupied the main living space. And we were able, if there had been somebody in there that did not evacuate, we made it in. We didn't just write them off from the front lawn. We gave them the best shot, right? And, and of course, I sit here and say it, but, but when you want to hear it in a much better context is, sure. is to listen to Brian and, and yeah. have him go through it. And, right. you know, we need to pop that door and, and get that ear down to the threshold and, you know, look around and, and see, if, can there be, can we survive in here? Not, not just the people, but can we get in here? Right. And if we can, then we do. They deserve. Yeah. They deserve that shot. So let's let's. I think the two things there. Let's not write people off from the front lawn, and let's not write our brothers off from the other the other side of the monitor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> from your keyboard, right? Yeah. Don't write them off as well. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. It, it's and we're in no position to judge. Thousand kilometers away, mm-hmm. thousand miles away, whatever the case mm-hmm. may be, we're in no position to judge the actions of another fire department. We don't know their resources. We don't know their funding. You know, we don't know and we don't know. We also don't know, I think, um, if like we, if, if, and we're all the same, menta- like, well, I'd like to think we're all the same mentality, but that uh, uh, we're our worst critics. critics. Yeah. So we also don't know what they went away from and thought, oh, like, if I had to do that again, I would do it this way. Yeah, exactly. They're probably coming to the realizations themselves, as you and I would if we were watching a video of ourselves, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, and I think, you know, I think some of the problems, and you may see it as well with the peer support team, is, you know, we walk away from things and we regret it. And we have regrets based on our actions at that incident. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you from experience, if, if you lose a civilian in a fire, but yet you stretched properly, yes, you made an aggressive push, yes, you did an aggressive search, you put the nozzle between the people and the problem, you split off and used your crew, you know, and they still perished, well... You know, I, you did everything you could at that incident, yeah. and you can walk away with it. Sure, with some reflection, of course. Nobody likes losing. But you can walk away from that incident and go, yeah, okay. Did you lose, though, or did you give, like, if you if you did everything you should have done? And that's the thing. You're giving them the chance. Yeah. Same on a VSA call. You run, you are, you cannot fix in that situation, yeah. say, some situations. You're, you're walking into a 40-year problem. Yeah. And you're expecting to fix it in five minutes with a, with a defib? Yeah. You're not going to, right? So I think there's that, that, that it's perspective is everything. Sure. And I, I think that, yeah. Like you I say, still give your 100%. And you probably see it from a peer support standpoint where sometimes people do have those regrets. And, yes. you know, and if if you can have that crew and they're, they're top shelf and they're going to operate and you have your confidence in them as a, as a company officer, then, you know, then you can walk away from that and go, yeah, okay. Yeah. And a mentor years ago said to me, um, um, yeah, rule number one is that, you, you know, you can't save everybody. Yeah. And uh, rule number two is you can't change rule number one. Yeah. Right. There you have it. <laughs> and on the peer support uh, aspect of it, um, you know, we talk about um, firefighter suicides and, and we've been, we've been touched by that mm-hmm. tragedy within our own department. And uh, we ran a um, stigma loss stop campaign uh, and had crews post their photos. I think your crew mm-hmm. through your, through your photos part, part of that. And the idea was that there's, there's all these, it's a complex issue about, uh, but why firefighters commit suicide and, and, uh, one of them it could, you know, we could be a part of that as, as one of those reasons as, you know, being stigma, you know, stigmatizing people. So 
we need to stop that. And then, and then if we know we've done everything we could with them and that one pillar in their life, in our, in our mm-hmm. department, then if we hap- if they happen to die by suicide tragically, then we know we, it was, it wasn't because of stigma. Yeah. It wasn't because of us. Yeah. And we can hold our heads high and, 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 you know, and honor them the best we can. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We can only, we can only handle so much. For sure. So, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I asked, I asked this question to Zeus and, um, it's funny, one of the, one of the guys uh, I was talking about the podcast, he's like, you know, eventually you'll come up with like questions you think you want to ask every person. And, and I think this might be one of them. So, um, is this a pop quiz? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's a one question pop quiz. So, uh, looking back, if you had to give yourself advice, so as, as a volunteer, as a rookie, um, as a senior firefighter, as a captain, uh, even as a captain now, I'm like, if you, if as a captain, if you had to look at yourself and give yourself advice, so think about those positions. And if you had to look back and, and it's not in, 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 in regret, but we're always hindsight's 2020. And I think by doing this, you're passing on the advice to the, the new volunteer, the new recruit, you're passing this advice on to the senior firefighter and the captain. So do you have any thoughts on that? Keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Keep moving forward. Your your career and and the job is bigger than all of us. And I think you know if even in those times where maybe maybe some comments were made, that's going to take your passion and grind it into the ground. And you know because there are the haters out there. It's an e- it's an easy position to play for sure. Um, <laughs> keep moving forward. You owe it to the people, and uh, and you owe it to yourself. You owe it to your family. That. You know what? You need to be better. You need to be better every day. Just keep moving. One yeah. foot in front of the other. It's a grind, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. And anything specific to uh, a rookie or a senior firefighter or along the way or as a captain? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's that's totally fine. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Hey, no this worries. Was, this was uh, even better than I expected it was going to be. It was amazing. Awesome. Great. Thanks for being here. Thank you. All right, cool.